course. Good morning, Father. We love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray that today, Father God, you give us ears to hear and eye to see, Father God, exactly what you want us to see and what you want us to hear, Father God. Penetrate our heart, Father God, and Suppose whatever needs to be exposed in our life, Father God, give us conviction where conviction is needed, my Lord. I pray, Lord Jesus, that today will be a day where we will rejoice, Father God. This is the day that you have made, Father God. Let us be glad in your presence, my Lord. Let us, let this time of fellowship, this time of worship, Father God, to be an aroma to your nostril, Father God. That you can see, Father God, that we love you, that we want to seek you, that we want to follow you, God. That we lay down everything for you, my Lord. So thank you, Father God, for a new day, for your mercy, the, the day that is the mercy for us, Father God. So we thank you, we worship you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Father, I pray that that would be our hearts crying out. God, that we wouldn't go searching for the temporal things of this world to satisfy us or to complete us, Lord. I pray, God, that our eyes would be open to know, Father, that complete wholeness and satisfaction can only be found in Christ and in Christ alone. That, God, you are all that we need. So I pray, Father, as we open your word today, God, that we would be encouraged to draw close to you. Your word says that if we draw close to you, that you will draw close to us. That if we seek you, we will find you if we seek you with our whole heart. I pray today, God, that you would be pleased to reveal yourself to us, Father, through your Son, Jesus. And that, God, that we would have a desire to continue to mature and to grow in the knowledge of Christ. We thank you, Father, for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for your deliverance, for your freedom, for the hope that we have in Christ and in Christ alone, knowing that our hope, that hope will never disappoint us. So, Father, wherever we find ourselves today, rather we are close to you, or, Father, if we're apart from you, pray that you would speak to each one and that these words would not fall on deaf ears, that you would give us ears to hear and a heart that would respond. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark, that's where we're heading, chapter 15 and 16. We're finishing the book of Mark. These two chapters cover uh, the trial before Pilate, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection. And we remember that this gospel, if you would, was written to the Christians, mainly Gentile Christians, to encourage them to keep their eyes on Christ. They were living in a time when it wasn't popular to preach the gospel, and it wasn't popular to be a Christian. In fact, Christians during this time were being persecuted at an alarming rate. They were being hung on crosses and burnt just to light the night sky. They were being ushered into arenas as their arenas are packed with crowds of people waiting to see the Christians devoured. This is the gospel that is being presented to these Christians to encourage them to keep their faith in Christ, no matter what. Keep your eyes on Jesus. See, Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have an understanding that He has begun this work in you. You didn't begin it. There is nothing in you that you would wake up and purpose of yourself to follow Jesus. Because remember, when you were born, you were born, all of us were born into a sinful nature. This nature that is rebellious towards God. In and of yourself, you would not turn to God. You would continue to turn to yourself. 
you would continue to turn to the temporal things of this world to find hope, to find satisfaction, to find security. But all of that can only be found in the one who created you. You won't find that anywhere else. And it's interesting, as we're entering into this last portion of Scripture and the book of Mark, that the past few days, um, week or so, I've had an opportunity to kind of go back and share my testimony. And it's always interesting when I share my testimony because I recall the, the events that kind of led up to the point where I laid my life down. Because I fought for a long time not to lay my life down, as you do as well. Some people would ask, how could you believe in this God? And I would say, how could you not? There were many times that I was exposed to the gospel. As a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult. And my heart was too hardened to hear. I only wanted my life. I only wanted what satisfied me. Yeah, yeah, have your Jesus, have your Jesus. But that's not for me. I lived that life many of times, many of years. Have your Jesus. It's not for me. But isn't it interesting, though, that at the moment when I'm about to take my life, the moment at a complete, utter darkness and loneliness and brokenness, Jesus stepped in. The very one I kept saying I didn't need. You can have your Jesus, but I don't need him. But at a moment, he stepped in. And as those pills were going to my mouth, he knew the right moment, the right second to speak. Today you'll live. Today you'll live. And as those who have heard me speak and share my testimony, it was at that moment the pills I dropped in my hands went over my head, and the first words out of my mouth was, Oh Jesus. In that moment, in that second, in that hour, His presence was real to me. I wasn't seeking him. I wasn't looking for Jesus. A lot of you know I hated Jesus. I hated anything to do with God. But yet here in this moment, here in this hour, in this place where I was in total desperation and, and ready just to end life because everything I was searching for to complete me wasn't completing me. And yet the only one that could complete me and could complete you stepped in. I didn't need a preacher in front of me. I didn't need ten Christians around me. I needed Jesus to be God. I needed him to be who he is. I didn't know in that second, in that very moment, what was going to transpire next. All I knew, for the first time, such words were spoken and were piercing my heart that brought me such relief. And I longed for more. And I sought after Him. 
I fought him for a few years trying to hold on to my life. But in the end, the more you know him, the more you learn of him, the more you realize his great power and who he is, you can't help but surrender your life. You can't help to understand when the Word of God says you will be born again of a new nature. Not the nature that you're used to. Not the nature that, that craves all the temporalness of life. No, this new nature that now feasts off the Word of God. This new nature that longs for more of Him. Like He satisfies your thirst. He's, he satisfies your hunger. That You're not looking, you're not searching anymore because you found yourself. In Christ. You found what was missing. Your creator. You see, God has had a plan, you all. I don't know where all of you are today. And there's only a few of you here. But I, and I can believe and almost know that there's those among us that aren't Christians. that haven't really settled within their heart of hearts that He is Lord. And that's okay. But I would encourage you, don't stay there too long. <laughs> because it's your choice to continue to rebel against God. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Praying a little prayer one time in your life does not make you a Christian. And I know that's hard for some to hear in this generation because that is what has been sold to the majority of people that usher in to churches. Do you know Jesus' words? He says, those that are my true disciples, my true followers, are those who obey. Those that truly follow me are those who obey me. And I know a lot of times we would rather just hear the good parts of the word and not really hear uh, what we may thought, think of as the bad parts. The parts where we are responsible for our actions, that we are crucifying the Son of Christ, Jesus, over and over and over again by our attitudes and by our disobedience. <clears throat> and the Bible very clearly warns us over and over, that's not what a Christian ought to be doing. Because you have come to a place, if you're calling yourself a Christian, that you have known and seen your need for a Savior. That your life is different now. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin. But what it does mean is that when you do, you recognize quickly because you have the Holy Spirit within you that quickens you to repent. He reminds you, Rob, you don't belong in rebellion. From the beginning, we've talked about this over and over and over again. Sometimes people say, you sound like a broken record, Rob. Preach something new. What would you have me preach? But the gospel. 
what would you have me preach but Jesus? Because everything out there in this world is trying to strip us of our identity and strip him of his identity. And if we're not growing in him, if we do not know him, we will get confused. I would like for you to think of Adam and Eve. The beginning. God created. Do you remember how their relationship was described with God? They walked with him. They were in an intimate relationship and fellowship with God. They knew God. They were with him daily. Such intimacy. And yet, so easily deceived. Did God really say? You see, once doubt enters in, once we go and we touch and we taste that which we shouldn't be going to and touching and tasting, once we start allowing the enemy to begin to to rake over our hearts and our minds, doubt and questioning God, and is he really God, and uh, does he really require this of us, and is this really how we're to worship, or is this really how I'm to live, and we start doubting, and we start questioning, surely God's not going to mind if we do this. And then we go our way. And just as God did with them, he does with us. He steps in and he calls us out. He knew, he knew exactly where they were. But he calls their names. They have to respond as we have to respond. They had to step out <clears throat> naked before God. What have you done? They had to give an account. just as he holds them accountable he looks to the serpent to the enemy and he begins to lay out and give a give an understanding of what's to come what was already purposed before the earth was formed the cross the cross wasn't an afterthought of God. No, it was the first thought. To display such great love to creation that there would be no doubt that there is a God. He's a just God. That's why he can hold mankind accountable because he reveals himself to us time and time and time and time and time and time again. He says to the serpent, he, even at the beginning, he gives us a clear understanding of his purpose. There will become one who will crush your head and he will come from her seed. The Messiah. My son. Wow. 
And that's what we're that's the account we're about to read today. Let's not be bored. <laughs> Let's not just be like, oh, okay, whatever. No, no, no. Do you realize that the words that we're going to read today is the fulfillment of what was spoken in the garden? There is going to come one who will crush your head, who will defeat you. It did not surprise God that Adam and Eve sinned. He knew it would take place. It doesn't surprise God when you sin and choose to go your way. Let me tell you this, especially if you're a Christian and you're calling yourself a Christian. Sin is no longer your master. That's what Romans 6 says. You're not to be lured, you're not to be mastered by sin. As a Christian, you are now a slave to righteousness and right living, right standing with God, not because of you, but because of Christ. As a Christian, we have got to know that our identity is in Christ. That's why the Word of God tells us time and time and time again, to give, it gives us this visual um, understanding that we are in Christ. I love it when Scripture says that we're to clothe ourselves with Christ. How are we doing with that? Daily. Because if you're not clothing yourself, if, if you don't recognize your position in Christ, you're going to get swept away. Why do you think that the enemy has since the garden has set out to destroy the works of God? He knew it was already established that his head was going to be crushed, that he was going to be defeated. And not only that, but your sin nature, that old nature, the very one you were born into, the very one that you are easily swayed by, is defeated. So if that nature is defeated, why do we continue to go to it and, and dress ourselves with it? You're dressing yourself with something that is defeated. You're dressing yourself with something that is going to endure the wrath, because everything temporal, everything that is not of God is going to be burnt up. And not just for a moment, but for eternity. Mankind, those who continue to remain in rebellion towards God, will choose their eternity. That's why I'm not concerned. If people don't want to know about Jesus, they have every right. You have a right to choose how you want to live. If you want to live in rebellion, go for it. But recognize that in that you're choosing, you're choosing the way in which you ought to be going in for eternity. God has laid out clearly His understanding and His plan. And it's through Christ and Christ only that we are sealed and that we are called to be Followers of Christ because we are ending up in His kingdom. We're to grow and become more like Him. And it's not until we are with Him that we are perfected. 
These words in which we are going to read today, they just can't be words that fall on deaf ears. Do you know what God has done for you? Do you know the payment that has been paid for you? Do you realize that you're going to have to give an account to God and you say, well, I don't even know if I believe in God. Your unbelief does not excuse you you're like a past not to stand before Him. Oh no, you're going to stand before God. And again, you can ask, well, what if I don't believe that He's God? Oh, then you're remaining in ignorance. Because over and over and over, God is revealing Himself to you. Those who are sitting here today that are just here, just for whatever reason you're here, and you're not a follower of Christ, understand this, you didn't wake yourself up and bring yourself here. Remember what I told you? God himself seeks you out. Remember? Like he did Adam and Eve. He called them out. And as of today, if you're in rebellion, if you're in sin, he's calling you out. And you responded, rather you realize you have or not, because you're sitting here. In his presence. God Almighty. The creator of heaven and earth. You're in his presence, because his word says where there's two or three, that's why I'm not big on numbers, if there's two or three here, he's among us, because that's what the word says. You are in His presence. And He chose this day to reveal Himself to you yet again. Because when you really read and you know God, listen, His will is that none shall perish. Think about that. He desires you. He desires for you to be with Him. Such great love is displayed through Christ. The most famous verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And belief, again, is not just a form of religion, but it's a lifestyle of obedience. Because if you truly believe, you will not continue to disobey. So, one little prayer and a lifestyle of disobedience and rebellion is not a Christian life. Remember Jesus. Those who love me will obey me. Jesus, you are. Think of this. Just as the enemy did it then, so he has been doing it throughout the generations, even up into our time. If you were going to confuse those who are called of God, the best thing to do is to water down his message. To strip Christ of his power. As if he could. He can't. But I want to challenge us today. All of you sitting here, what are you doing with Jesus? Do you love him? Sixteen people got up yesterday to go enjoy a hot air balloon ride. 
And in an instant, 16 people were burned alive because the balloon hit a power line. They were just enjoying life. They were just enjoying life. And people watched in horror them falling from the sky, engulfed in flames. A priest was standing in the church delivering Mass. The congregation was sitting there and the doors were open and militant Muslims came in. And they forced a man to videotape them slitting the throat of the priest. These people were in a time of worship. At any moment, your life can be gone. At any moment. And each of us are at an age where you need to think about that. Even in the stillness, even in this room right now, in a moment, one of us could take our last breath and kill over. You see, life is but a vapor. You're here today and you're gone tomorrow. And what you choose today and how you've chosen to live your life, you will be held accountable before God, the very one who loves you, the very one who purposed you, the very one who formed you, the very one who counted the number of hairs on your head, the very ones who, who the very one who has marked the days of your life. Such great love this God has for us. And does it really make sense that we would rebel against him? I, mean, I really want you to think this morning. I really want your heart to kind of just, just kind of put aside everyone else and I really look at your heart this morning because that's what God sees. Your heart. How are you responding to Him? Do you love Him? Do you long to be in His presence to know Him? I told you before. Your identity as a believer is in Christ. And if you've never really truly accepted Christ, I don't know what you're waiting for. There's such great love. Such great love. Do you realize the account of, of the rich young ruler? This young man that came to Jesus. He longed to be in the kingdom of God. He longed to, to understand, what must I do? And Jesus laid out all the right things to do, knowing how this young man would respond. The young man begins to get excited. I've done those things. But Jesus says, oh, but there's one other thing. Sell all of your money. 
give it to the poor, and come follow me. And in an instant, that young man's face fell to the ground, such great grief, and he walked away from the very one he was seeking. What about you today? What one thing or two things or three things or a hundred things that you hold in your heart that keeps you from giving yourself completely to God? Because He knows those things. And your excuse of why you want to hold on to them doesn't satisfy His need for you to let it go. You holding on to those things, you're still looking at him saying, you're not enough. You're still choosing your rebellion over him. And so don't think that you're safe. Don't think that somehow you're just going to skip right in. No, you're going to stand before him. And we read in the word, that there will be those who will stand before him, and they will say, well, didn't I do this? Didn't I go to church? I was a good person. I did this and I did that. In those words, when he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. You worker of iniquity, of sin, of rebellion. Do you realize the the watered-down Christianity that is being promoted out there? Do you realize that as it was in the garden, so it is today, and so it will continue to be until Jesus returns? The enemy is plotting to come and to steal, to kill, and to destroy, to pervert the Word of God, to, to make it to where it's almost nothing. And how can that be when God Himself has established His Word from the beginning? The fulfillment of God's plan. The fulfillment of God's word. The fulfillment for mankind to know that God loves you. Think about that. Listen, I told you before, you can go out there and you can talk to people and you would say, what do you know about God? Well, God loves me. Isn't it interesting? We all know that. And somehow we think that that's enough. But if, I told you before, if all it was to be right with God is the knowledge of his love, then my God, we're all in. And Jesus is a liar. Because Jesus' word said, not everybody's coming. It's a narrow road. Only a few will find it. See, it's more than just a knowledge of God's love. Because what did God do because of his love? What did he do? Anybody? Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say that God so loved the world that those who believe in God's love would inherit 
eternal life. There's a lot of people believing in God's love and they're not going to reap the benefit of Christ because they never received Him. These words in which we're about to hear are words that are, have, have fulfilled that which is spoken. Jesus' death. Jesus knew His purpose. He knew what was set before Him. He knew that I have to accomplish this in order to redeem and to save mankind. There is a way out, you all, and it's only through Jesus. Again, you can choose not to go His way. But understand the consequences of that. See, you're without excuse. The Bible says it's best that you've never sat in church and heard. <laughs> then to hear and do nothing with what you heard. See, you all have now been presented the fullness of the gospel. How you respond now is your choice. God's not going to force you to bow your knee. God is not going to force you to choose Him. God is going to remind you, though, daily how much He loves you and what Christ has accomplished for you. And you would have to keep continually purposing, choosing, I don't believe. You're not God. And again, you may not be saying that, but your actions and your heart attitude will be declaring it. And that's enough to charge you guilty. Guilty in the courtroom of heaven. Guilty. You're in rebellion, and you chose your rebellion over me. In the courtroom of heaven, guilty. For those who believe, those who have endured to the end, those who sought for Christ and, and continue to, to grow and to mature in faith and have received the fullness of salvation, when they stand in the courtroom of heaven, not guilty. Not because of the works that they have done, but because of Christ. Because they're clothed with Christ. Christ stands up, Jesus stands up, and He is our advocate. Because He's been pleading for you. He's been pleading for me. They belong to me. My blood covers them. It's the payment for their freedom. Come on, you all. How could you not be excited for such great love? Ask yourself, I want you to think of it now. What are you going to leave this house to go back to? What rebellion is worth it? Listen, when I was on my knees and God was dealing with me, no, Rob, the way you're living is sin. Get up from this place. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't want to leave everything behind. I wanted to feel like I had some type of security, but take nothing with you. Get up and go. And you know what? Some of you need to hear that today because whatever you're going to go back to, God is saying enough of your excuses. Rather it's relationships that are ungodly. Rather it's, it's secret sin that you know you ought not to be doing. It's just a bad attitude you're carrying, living in a false warp of reality. 
Maybe not pretending, or maybe not even pretending. Maybe you just don't care. But how could you hear of such great love and dismiss him? Oh, I can tell you how. It's because of that old nature, that rebellion, that says, Listen, you all. If you say, I believe in Jesus, then understand the fullness of what he's accomplished. If you don't understand, then be true to yourself. I don't really know him, but I long to know him more. In that moment, when I was on my knees, and the Spirit of God was bringing such great conviction... My life is yours. In an instant, I was born again of a nature that no longer craved rebellion. I'm not saying I was perfect or imperfect. There's a nature within me, you all, that I can talk about my old life. I can share about my old ways. And it's like I'm talking about a dead person. That's how real it is. And how real it is, it should be for you. Because that's how the Word of God describes it. Remember? You're to consider yourself dead, but alive in Christ. You have nailed that old passion and those desires to the cross. You've crucified them there. You have no more interest in the ways of the world. And the world has no interest in you. Amen. Listen, come on. That's the Christian life. It's a life of victory. It's a life of hope. It's a life of not trying to find your worth in this temporal world. As a Christian, you're to think of others more than you think of yourself. As a Christian, you're to go out there and share the good news. Because you realize how fleeting life is. It's just a vapor. People are here today and gone tomorrow. That's why you are not putting your hope in, in, in relationships. You're not putting your hope in, 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 in objects. You're not putting your hopes in things that are just temporal. Because nothing can ever satisfy you. Because you weren't created for the temporalness of life. That's why the Bible allows us to know that we're just foreigners passing through. You were created for eternity, you all. And that's how you ought to be living. In Mark chapter 15, we pick up where Jesus is dragged before Pilate. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of the religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. Did you hear that opening? These were the priests, the pastors, the Christians... Of the day, if you would. The leading leaders of their movement, of the people of God of that day. And they are putting Jesus on trial. They are fed up with Jesus interfering with their way of doing God. Their way. Of, of service, their way of, of knowledge of God. The crazy thing is, is that they knew God, and yet they didn't know God. 
They knew God's word. They heard God's word. They followed God's commandments. They even added to the commandments. They were oppressing God's people. They were actually keeping people from God. And yet, these are the leaders who now have Jesus right where they want him. Oh, but lest we forget God's plan, no, Jesus is where God wants him. These men thought that they were doing of themselves, and all along, they were fulfilling what was spoken back in the beginning. Remember last Sunday? I was telling you how people just go through the motions, not really realizing that what they're doing, they're actually, even in their rebellion, is fulfilling God's ultimate plan. Think of Judas, Jesus' disciple. Jesus knew the very day when he looked at Judas and said, come follow me, that he would be the one that would ultimately betray him. Wow. But think about the woman last week with the alabaster box. She came in just, just to worship Jesus. She had no clue that she was actually fulfilling what needed to be done to prepare him for burial. Two sides. Two different hearts. But both fulfilling God's plan. The same here. Different hearts sitting here. And yet God knows each one. And what would he say about your heart? What would he say about my heart? How would he expose it? Because he knows it. He knew these men. They bound Jesus, led him away, took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Ah, I love Jesus. I love how he replies. You have said it. Then the leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you the king of the Jews, Pilate asked? For he realized by now, look at this, that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. Even this unbeliever recognized what these men were doing. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, Then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him! Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob, 
roared even louder. Crucify him! So, to pacify the crowd, to give the crowd what they want, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers now have Jesus in their grips. They took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe, and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Jesus, you all, the Son of God, endured such Great pain. They said that after these guards, if you study what has taken place, when the guards finished with him, chunks of his flesh were hanging off of him. His body was beaten till he was even unrecognizable. He endured. He, you remember last week when he was in the garden praying, Father, if there's any other way, Take this cup of suffering from me. He knew what was about to take place. And yet, after even speaking that, he says, Not my will, but yours. See, I don't know about you all, you all, but I can't continue just to play church. I can't just continue to be like, Oh, Jesus, Jesus, and not really see Jesus for who he is. Why would he do that for me? Why would he go through that for you? But he endured. The Bible says no greater love can be displayed than this. That a man will lay down his life for his friend. To think that God, the creator of heaven and earth, calls you and calls me his friend. I love you that much, Rob. That even though you were in complete rebellion towards me, I gave my life for you in hopes that you would turn to me. Do y'all get this? He's not going to force you to love him, but he has revealed it to you. Like, I'm not going to force you, Christian. I'm not going to force you, Melissa. I'm not going to force you, Gilda, to turn to me. But I would reveal my love to you, and you have to choose. And that goes for each of you. You have to choose. Do you love him? The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. 
And he's not asking something of you that he hasn't done himself for you. Do you realize how much he loves you? That he would endure. God himself would endure the created man to beat the hell out of him. To strip him. To spit on him. To mock him. What? Drag him away. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. And they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means a place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced to to charge against him, it read, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from that cross. The leading priests and teachers of the religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. And as it is today, people mock Jesus. People have a lot to say about Jesus. Oh, I love the fact that Jesus hung on that cross and endured all of that. Because let me tell you, if he would have come down off that cross, oh, they would have believed all right. But it would have been the end. No, he endured it. In fact, the other Gospels mention that while he was hanging there, receiving all of this insult and abuse, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, he wasn't moved by what was being done. Because he knew he must fulfill God's purpose and plan. (laughs) At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then there, I'm sorry, then at three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. (laughs) I want you to think about that just for a second. At this appointed time, from what was spoken back over here in the garden, there will come one who will crush your head, who will defeat you. The hour is upon us. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? 
Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain and the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And that is a huge symbol for all mankind to understand. Because that curtain was torn right then and there, everyone now, because of Christ, has access to come to God. That curtain was there in the Jewish religion, and only the selected priests were able to go in to the presence of God. But now, all mankind will have the presence of God available to them because of what Jesus has accomplished. It's not just a selected group of people who have access. It's everyone now. Jesus has fulfilled what God has planned. That nature that you're so easily running back to is defeated. You're, you're linking up with something that's already defeated. That sin that so easily entangles you is to be thrown off now, the Bible says, because it is not to master you, because it can't master a Christian. What masters you is what you submit yourself to. And a Christian is not to be submitting to sin. A Christian is not to be submitting to the old ways. No, the Christian is submitted to Christ in his way. My life is no longer my own. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he died, look at this, an unbeliever, he exclaimed, this man truly was the Son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph, and Solomon. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women had come from, with him to Jerusalem were also there. This happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. And as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought, brought, I'm sorry, bought a long sheet of linen cloth, then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in the tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. Saturday evening. When the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary, mother of James, and Solomon went and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. 
when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The woman were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Then they briefly reported all of this to Peter and his companions. Afterwards, Jesus himself sent them out from east to west with the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. God has accomplished what God has purposed. Sin and death are defeated, you all. They, do, they are to no longer rule and reign. The enemy's head has been crushed. He cannot have access to a believer. The only access the enemy can have is what you give him. Because you choose to submit to him. Now, after Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from which she had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. This is the longer version, if you would, to this gospel. To kind of even give more clarity to the readers of this gospel. At first, the disciples did not believe the account that Jesus was alive. That he was resurrected from the dead. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the countryside. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the eleven disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had raised from the dead. And he then, and then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These are Jesus' words. Do you realize, you all, that 11 men has carried this message and their generation and people began to believe in the resurrected Christ in this gospel story of the one who came to save mankind. And because of these 11 who went out and testified that Jesus was alive, that God sent His one and only Son, that this belief began to impact the entire world. And do you realize that this man, Jesus, His death, His resurrection, upsets governments? 
still to this day. Funny. The greatest love story upsets and angers people. That governments would try to burn this word. That governments would hinder the story of Jesus being told. That mankind would turn against God. One man, you all. But yet, God himself. In this day and age, in the ages to come, until he returns, mankind is even going to grow even more darker and more rebellious against God. The church hasn't seen anything yet. The persecution and the hell that the the church had endured, do you realize in these beginning days what took place to the people who believed? What ended up happening to these disciples? Oh, they were not welcomed. They were tortured. Do you remember the audience I told you this was written for? A church where Christians were being burnt on crosses just to illuminate the night sky. Where Christians were being rounded up and forced into arenas to be devoured by wild animals. But nothing can stop the word of God. Nothing is going to hinder what God has planned. Jesus himself has warned those who follow him. If they hated me... They're going to hate you. The gospel message, you all, is not a popular message. The world is not going to flock to this message about a resurrected king. It sounds foolish to people who are perishing. It used to sound really foolish to me. And still, sometimes to this day, I think, man, God, I believe in some crazy stuff. I'm yours. It's foolishness. And yet, do you hear Jesus' words? Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Oh, you have a right to refuse. It's your choice. He loves you enough to say, have what you want. But in the end, you're not partaking of me and my kingdom. My kingdom. You see, that's what it's all about, you all. His kingdom. For his glory and for his kingdom. As people, as Christians, we're to have a kingdom mindset. We have been, the Bible says... That we have been engrafted into his kingdom. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. It has been established. You are now royal priesthood. You are now part of a family. You have been adopted by God. You have been given the right as a child of God. You're to represent him now. You're to represent a kingdom. Have you ever studied about the kingdoms of old? See, in America, we don't have a really good understanding of what a, how a kingdom runs. But back in the days, oh, you understood what a kingdom was. You went against the king. Or if you were a threat of the, of a, of, of the kingdom, they, they did you in. 
It was a ruler. He was in charge. You respected. You followed. There is no questioning. And if you questioned, you were put out. And these kingdoms used to fight each other over and over and over and over, trying just to overtake and gain even more power. These are temporal kingdoms. But there's an eternal kingdom that has been set forever. The enemy tried. The enemy thought, I will rise up above God. But he couldn't. And he never will be able to. This place is already prepared. And all of those who will not receive this message, eternity, you all, can we really grasp that? Like, eternity. Either you're going to be with God for eternity. And, and please let me help you understand something. As much as I'm excited about loved ones and friends that are in heaven, I'm not looking forward to seeing them. It'll be nice when I see them, but I'm not trying to get to heaven to see my mother. No, I realize what heaven is about. It's about Him. I desire to be with my Lord. I desire to be with my God. I desire to be with the one who laid his life down for me, who stepped in and said, Today, Rob, you'll live. Desire the one to be the one who said, revealed such love to me. Yes, God. Your purpose into, into entering heaven is not to be reunited with your loved ones. Because some of them that you think are there are probably not going to be there. Because not everyone is going to heaven. Not everyone is going to be there. So to try to pass, try to persuade people to, to love Jesus or to accept Jesus so they can get to heaven to be with aunt so and so, that's ridiculous. purpose of heaven is eternity with Christ. Worshiping Him forever and ever and ever and ever. And praise God if our loved ones are there. And if they aren't, you're not going to even be aware of it because you're going to be so focused on Jesus. <laughs> but just in the same understanding of that eternity. There's an eternity where the Word of God is very specific, and Jesus Himself talks more about hell than a lot of other things. It is an understanding of the warning. It's the understanding that, listen, I've made a way that you don't have to endure that, but if that's what you want, that's what I'll let you endure. And for an eternity, there's no way out. God's not going to change his mind and snuff out the fires of hell. For eternity. This is what is at stake. You choose, the Bible says, this day. Life or death. 
Those miraculous, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and they will drink anything poisonous and won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what he said by many miraculous signs. Jesus, you all, ascended into heaven. What does the Bible say he is right now? He's at the right hand of the throne of God. The, the, the place that represents all power. Nothing, no one can overthrow this kingdom. You have an opportunity. I have an opportunity to be a part of it. And to live as such. Not there, but here and there when we get there. Your life every day as a Christian, if you're calling yourself a Christian, is purpose now to move to, to advance his kingdom in your generation. To advance his kingdom, to advance the knowledge of God in this generation, to go and to proclaim the gospel. Just as it was given to them, so it is given to us. And it breaks my heart when I see the gospel, when, I, when it breaks my heart to see those who are claiming Christ, not living like Christ. Because when you're not living like Christ, you're insulting Him in front of others. And in that, you're watering down the gospel and you're making His kingdom to see as if as it has no power. What do people see in your life? Think about that. I go to church. I go to a Christian school. My mom and my grandmother were Christians. I prayed a prayer. I talk about Jesus. I'll post things of Jesus on Facebook. What do people see? Do they truly see the kingdom of God at work in your life? Or do they see someone who is a threat within the kingdom? The spies. I watched this incredible series this past week about this kingdom. And how the Vikings came in to Europe, overthrowing, or tried to overthrow these kingdoms that were established. And throughout the whole series, man, these Vikings, they were coming in, and they were just devouring these kingdoms. And the way they wore, the way they, the way they, 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 they were trained to, to attack and, and, to, and, to, and to move up against. And a lot of these kingdoms were Christian kingdoms. They were slaying them all over the place. But finally, at the end, 
they decided, as after they learned how to really warfare, Christians decided to, to advance and to advance. And they knew that the only way that they were going to stand up against the Vikings were basically to push back and to advance. They knew who they belonged to. Even though in the midst of them, there were people who were saying, we were part of your kingdom, but in reality, they weren't. And they were working to try to destroy the kingdom. And so it is among the church today. We're called to advance. We're called to keep pushing back against the evil. We're called to push back against darkness. We're called to love, even though we're hated. We're called to to live in such a way that others cannot look at us and give us credit, but to give our God credit. It's not going to be the outside that's going to end up affecting the church. It's going to be those, the inside, who are saying they're Christians and not living for the kingdom. Eroding away the message. Watering it down. And why do you think And I'll end it with this, that those are the people Jesus warns us about. He does not warn you about the outside. He doesn't warn you about those who choose not to believe and who are condemned. He doesn't warn you about them. He tells you to go out to them. He tells you to go advance his kingdom, announce the good news. But he warns you about those who sit among the church or who call themselves Christians and are not Christians. He warns you about those who hold a form of godliness, but they deny God's power because their lives have not changed. They're still enslaved to the rebellion. Wow. And you know what he says about those types of Christians? Don't even eat with them. Don't have anything to do with them. Do not associate with them. Why, you all? Because you will become just as lukewarm as they are. You will become just like them. Because you'll see them get away with stuff. And you'll go, well, nothing's happening to him, nothing's happening to her, so maybe God really didn't say. Remember that doubt. Remember what I opened up with Adam and Eve? They walked with God. They had an intimate relationship with God. But the enemy stepped in. Did God really say? And as it is with the church today, people who are professing to be Christians, and they're not. And their lives whisper to you. Did God really say? Did God really say? You see, it's time in this generation that the church wakes up. That the church rises up and we prepare for battle. And we go out. Not against man. Not against flesh and blood. Those out there are not our enemy. We're to love them. But we all to dress for battle against the forces of evil. You have to realize, you all, the day is approaching to his return. And as the day approaches, this world is growing to grow so dark, you all. 
is not to be scared. We're to be growing brighter. We're to be about our Father's business. We're to be kingdom-minded people. So enough games, you all. Whatever you plan to go back to, whatever is out there, whatever attitude, whatever the issue is of the heart, I am pleading with you, hear the word of the Lord. Repent. Turn to Him. And receive forgiveness. Listen, your life isn't going to be perfect. That's why you must be involved in a local fellowship. That's why you must be around believers who are encouraging you, who are edifying you, who are building you up. It's why you must learn from each other what it is to do this life together as he's called us to. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be really focusing on the Christian life. We're going to be really talking about the kingdom of God. And there's going to come some accountability for all of us to get out there and to live this life. Listen, if you don't want to live this life, if you don't want to follow him, that's your choice. But remember, life is but a vapor. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow. God has fulfilled what God has purposed. So I'm going to close with this last song. And then I'll close this in prayer. Oh, my life.